Well, when I started as a senior pastor here 18 months ago, I remember being uh, very excited to find this in my office in one of the drawers. Uh, it's a set of plans for the renovation uh, of our historic church building here in Yonville. I never got to see what the church looked like before uh, because uh, the demolition had already begun when I first visited, which, um, by the way, is almost two years ago to the day, uh, if you can believe how time flies. Uh, so all I'd ever known of Yonville Community Church was a building that was gutted inside, right down to the studs. Um, but even then, it was beautiful. Uh, it was a blank canvas of possibilities. Uh, but then when I started to look through the notes here, uh, these blueprints, uh, not blue anymore, a bit of a shame, but as I started to look through these plans, um, I started to get an image of what the church would look like when it was done. I began to get an appreciation for the shapes and the spaces and the finishes and you know, started to imagine what the rooms would be used for. And I've watched the construction crew for the last 18 months uh, working from the blueprints uh, as bit by bit uh, they breathe new life into that old building as they restore it, as they make it fit for the purpose that it was built for originally. Well, these blueprints are good for the physical reconstruction of the church, but that project is almost finished. And that means we need to think about blueprints for the spiritual reconstruction of the church. And that is, we need blueprints that lay out what kind of church we want to be, how we want to interact with one another, and how we want to interact with our community, and what we value, what we strive for. Are these blueprints for a healthy church, they're very important as we reopen that beautifully renovated building because we want to be a beautifully renovated church that breathes new life into the Napa Valley, just like God has breathed new life into us. Uh, so what is our blueprint for a healthy church? Stick around and we'll find out in just a moment. Well, good morning. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here. It's uh, so good to have you with us as we make time to come into the presence of God. I uh, don't know what your week was like, but I had a very distracted week. Uh, we've had so much progress on the church construction and landscaping, uh, and we're really close to finished, uh, which means we're on the countdown to our first service back in the building. Uh, we're going to keep you in suspense for the moment about the actual date of our homecoming. Uh, but the elders and I are getting ready to let you know in the very near future. So uh, make sure you keep opening our weekly emails. It's the best way to keep up to date with all the latest news. Uh, you can subscribe at our website, www.yonvillechurch.org, uh, or if you're on YouTube, follow the links in the comments below. But come back to the idea of coming into the presence of God. Uh, that's what we're here to do this morning, uh, or whenever you're watching. We're here to worship God. We're here to come to him in prayer, uh, to hear him speak through the pages of the Bible. And we're here to be transformed as God rebuilds us according to his blueprints. So why don't we ask that God would do that work in us now as we spend these holy moments in worship together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here with us, uh, that you have a plan for our lives, uh, that you are taking us from glory to glory through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Speak to us now as we open your word and breathe new life into us through your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, well, today we are starting a new series uh, in the book of Titus. I'm calling it Blueprint for a Healthy Church. I love this little letter of Titus because it's so practical. 
Uh, there are lots of commands that we can follow individually. Uh, there's particular advice for every demographic in the church, no matter what station of life you find yourself in. Uh, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Titus is also just full of gospel truths that help us grow in understanding and knowledge. Uh, so we could read it as individuals and get a lot out of it. But the aim of the blueprint is bigger than individual transformation. This is a book about transforming the whole church. Uh, it talks about the way that we relate together, the way that we relate in families, the way that we relate at work, the way that we relate in society. Because the transformed church, Paul says, makes an impact on society. Uh, when people observe our transformed lives, it makes uh, Titus 2.10, it makes the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. And that means more people have the chance to hear about the hope of Jesus, which is one of our main objectives here at Yonville Community Church. So I hope you're excited to embark on another reconstruction project with me as we ask God to restore and renovate and breathe life into us, uh, into our church in the coming weeks and months and years. So let's jump into the blueprint for a healthy church, Titus chapter 1. It starts, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, Titus 1.1. 1, 1. The book of Titus is a letter written by the apostle Paul. Paul was, of course, the key figure in the spread of the gospel in the first century. He planted churches all throughout the Mediterranean and Turkey. And his letters to those churches and to their pastors, well, they account for almost half of the New Testament scriptures, 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. So Paul, he had this enormous influence over the early church. His letters would be read out to the churches, kind of like a sermon delivered on paper in the days before YouTube. Sending letters was how the Apostle Paul pastored and mentored the early church when he wasn't able to be with them physically. For all of Paul's influence, this letter starts with humility. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yes, Paul is an apostle and his audience ought to listen to him because of that qualification. But first and foremost, he's a servant, just like Jesus, who didn't come to be served, but to serve. Mark 10, 45. Paul is a servant of God. And that's a humbling reminder for all of us who are in leadership uh, or in positions of influence in the church. First and foremost, we are servants, servants of God. And actually, that's true for every one of us in the church family. God's church ought to be characterized by servant heartedness, both in attitude and in action. Because church is not like a country club where we go to be pampered. A church is not like a store where we go as customers and consumers. A church is more like a family where everyone pitches in. And so as the church opens, we're going to need lots of people to serve. In fact, even before we open, we'll need some hands on deck to help, and we'd love to get you involved in that. And going ahead, I'd love our church to be one where every member serves in a ministry, where everyone finds a way to join us in the mission. Well, we have a volunteer interest form, which we've sent out on email, or you can have it on paper as well. Uh, with lots of different areas for serving. Uh, so if you haven't filled it out already, why not go back and look at the list, uh, look at all the needs and pray over it and consider how you might be involved. Uh, this is a call to action, but it comes with a call to attitude as well. Because however we serve in whatever capacity, we're to do it with the attitude of a servant, just like Jesus. 
Uh, this is what Paul wrote to the Philippian church about Christ-like servant-heartedness. This is Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 3 to 8. We serve because Jesus first served us. And we learn about the attitude we bring to serving by following Jesus' example. So that's the first characteristic of healthy churches. They are servant-hearted. Well, the second characteristic of healthy churches, says Paul, is godliness. Listen to how Paul describes his role as an apostle. This is Titus 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Paul's role as an apostle is to further the faith and understanding of God's people so that we become more godly as a result. And that means our primary function as a church is to further the faith and understanding of each of us so that we become more godly as a result. Well, let's think about that in more detail for a moment. How do we further our faith? Well, firstly, we need to understand that our faith is not something that is static or stagnant. Faith grows as we work at it. In kids' church last week, Charlotte taught the parable of the sower, which describes the way that faith grows in different people. For some people, faith grows for a time, but then it withers when hardships come. For others, life's worries choke their faith out, like a plant trying to grow among thorny bushes. But for others, faith grows and multiplies and bears fruit like a healthy tree planted in good soil, with enough water and, and sun and it flourishes. Uh, wherever we move, I always plant fruit trees uh, because they're such a good reminder of the way that our faith is meant to grow and bear fruit over time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, my fruit trees bearing fruit, but I'm also looking forward to seeing the fruit that God bears amongst us as a church in coming years uh, as we tend the soil of our faith together, uh, as we nurture faith and feed faith, as we support one another through the dry seasons of life. Paul says the church is there to further the faith of God's elect. So how exactly do we grow our faith? Well, Paul says growing faith is all about, also about growing in knowledge. A Paul is an apostle to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, Titus 1.1. Come back to my garden. Um, I really enjoy gardening because I like to see plants uh, grow and flourish, and I love the beauty that they bring to our outdoor spaces. Um, I'm still not sure about indoor plants, but I'm getting there. Uh, but when I first started gardening, I didn't know much about it at all. And so a lot of the plants that we bought, they didn't do very well. Uh, there was a particular project where I spent weeks planting a lawn, uh, and that lawn ended up dead six weeks after I laid the sod. It was very frustrating. And so I started reading books and, and I started watching gardening shows on television. I started reading the instructions on the plants. Uh, I learned about soil pH and sunlight requirements and how much to water. And then we got a worm farm and we started experimenting with organic pest control and well, our gardens flourished. 
See, knowledge helped my garden to flourish. And knowledge can help our faith flourish as well. Because the more we understand the truth about God's amazing plan of salvation, the more confidence it gives us, the more comfort it gives us, the more we grow in concern for what concerns God. See, knowledge of the truth keeps us growing in the faith all throughout our life as we apply the Bible's wisdom in every season. Knowledge of the truth keeps us grounded when the world invents new truths and and tries to sell them to us. A knowledge of the truth keeps us coming back to Jesus as our only hope for salvation. See, knowledge is important for us as Christian people. And that's why we spend each week on Sundays uh, spending a, a significant amount of our time learning from the Bible. A knowledge of the truth is why we hope every member joins a midweek Bible discussion group or an explore group that investigates the core truths about Jesus. At Yonkville Community Church, we want every member to grow in their understanding of the truths of the Christian faith. But we don't just pursue knowledge for the sake of academic purposes. Um, I was shocked when I went to Bible college to find out that many theologians are atheists. Uh, They studied theology and they knew all about God and they had a deep understanding of the doctrines and the vocabulary, but actually they didn't know God and they didn't want to. When we pursue knowledge and truth here at Yonville Church, we do that with the aim of knowing God more uh, and knowing God more and more even, uh, falling in love with him more and more, deepening our faith in Jesus more and more and, and allowing the truth to transform our lives. Well, look at the last part of Paul's role as an apostle again. Paul says that he's a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to, the, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Our knowledge of the truth ought to lead to godliness. It ought to make us more like God. It ought to bring change to our lives, a change to our behaviours, change to our relationships, change to our community. And we'll see that through the rest of Titus, um, the way that that theme of doing what is godly comes up again and again. But our faith, our knowledge and our godliness, well, they all rest on one thing. They rest on the hope which underpins all of God's promises. Well, I don't know if you've ever done the Alcatraz tour. If you haven't, I can recommend it. There's this particular moment on the tour when you step outside the prison, you're all the way at the top of the rock, you're overlooking the bay, directly opposite from Fisherman's Wharf, and the audio tour asks you to imagine New Year's Eve and imagine the sounds of parties floating across the water as they reach the ears of the inmates. And they quote one of the prisoners who said, Alcatraz was hell. On Alcatraz, you saw San Francisco every day There was not a day when you didn't know what you were missing out on. It was all there, just a mile away, but you could never have it. Alcatraz put hope just beyond reach. That's a perverse form of torture when you think about it. Compare that with the Christian hope of eternal life. I've known people who think of heaven as pie in the sky when you die. It's something that's out of reach and out of touch and unable to give hope in this lifetime. But that's not how Paul describes our hope as Christians. He says that healthy churches focus on faith and knowledge and goodness, verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he's brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour, Titus 1, 2-3. 
one of our key characteristics as the church is hope. Specifically, we have the hope of eternal life. This life is not all there is. We don't spend our life looking and longing for something better like inmates envying San Francisco from afar. We know for certain that there is something better. A life that lasts forever, a life where death and, and mourning and crying and pain are no more. It says that in Revelation 21.4. So how do we know about this eternal hope? Well, firstly, God who does not lie promised it from before the beginning of time. Ephesians 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. John said it like this uh, in perhaps the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 You see, God's plan is that all who put their trust in Jesus find eternal life. That was always his plan, like it says in Ephesians 1, from before time. And we can trust that God will do what he says he will do. Uh, the church in Crete, they were used to people breaking their promises. We'll find out next week that the Cretans were renowned as liars. That's Titus 1 verse 12. And we know from our own human experience that human promises aren't always kept. But God is not like us. God is not fickle. In his good and upright and perfect character, it's impossible for God to lie. Listen to how God is described in Numbers 23. God is not human that he should lie not a human being that he should change his mind? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Numbers 23, 19. We can trust that when God promises eternal life, he will deliver. Now I can hear the skeptics asking for more proof. After all, if you're going to stake your life on a promise, you want some solid proof, don't you? Well, look at what Titus 1 verse 3 says. The hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. Titus 1, 2-3. The promise from before time has been brought to light, says Paul. Of course, Paul is talking about Jesus. Jesus, the light of the world who shines in the darkness. That's John 1 verse 5. It's Jesus who overcame the grave by rising to new life on the third day. Jesus is the proof of God's promise to bring us eternal life. He rose and so will we. And every time we speak about Jesus, we share that same hope and promise of eternal life. That's why we preach about Jesus so much here at church. And that's why we encourage you to speak about Jesus with your family and friends and neighbours. Jesus is the key to understanding our eternal hope, our eternal hope, which is eternal life. Um, and that's also why our mission as a church uh, is to share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. A healthy church is a church which preaches the hope of eternal life, which is found in Jesus alone. So there we have the foundation for Paul's blueprint for a healthy church, a church that's servant-hearted, 
a church that's growing in faith and, and knowledge that leads to godliness, and a church holding out the hope of eternal life through Christ-centered preaching. Now, that's the church that I pray will be when we reopen. I will you join me in praying that God would make that so. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, for the way that you lay out plans for us. Uh, we know our position in salvation history. We know your goodness to us. We know, uh, we know Jesus' death on our behalf so that we can be saved. Uh, we, we know that your plan is for us to live godly lives in this world and to have an impact as we share the hope of Jesus, as we share the hope of eternal life, uh, wherever we might be. So, Father, we pray, would you make us that church? Uh, would you so fill us with your spirit uh, that we go out into the world uh, as those people who share hope, uh, share Jesus, share life. Uh, we pray that you would do that amongst us and in the Napa Valley and beyond. We pray that churches everywhere, Father, would make an impact for your son. We pray that people would come to faith in him and participate in that heavenly blessing, that eternal life that you promised. We bring all of these prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Saviour, and in the power of his Spirit who sends us forth. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.